welcome to the second season of Mompreneurs, where we celebrate and learn from fabulous black women who are out here killing it as moms-in-chief, running both their households and their businesses. I'm your host, Nancy Redd, and I come from a lovely lineage of black mompreneurs in Southern Virginia. I'm thrilled to present this intimate interview series that highlights inspiring and educational stories about how women are creating incredible opportunities and generational wealth for their families. But money isn't all this series is about. Balancing motherhood, mental health, and happiness is really important too. Jessica Faye Harris Dupart, AKA Judy, AKA Beautiful, is a self-made sweetheart of a mompreneur and a grandmompreneur. From teen mom of three doing hair in her house to triumphant founder of Kaleidoscope, a multi-millionaire product line that is full of incredible stuff to get your edges straight and your hair growing, we've all gotten to fall in love with her and her wife, DeBrat, on the hit reality show, Brat Loves Judy on WeTV. I am so excited to talk with you. Thank you Thanks so much for, for being here. Me. Thanks oh, for having me. It's really great because, Judy, I mean, for so many of the people listening and watching, you are the dream. You have created this world for yourself. You are a self-made millionaire mompreneur. And I think you are aware of what a business role model you are, right? Or does it sometimes not hit you just how much you've accomplished in such a short period of time? Um, I think I don't live there long. I think, I think because if I almost live in a present, it kind of, for me, it might have a, a chance of making me complacent. So I find that I'm often thinking about what's the next thing I can do. So sometimes I do have to take a step back because I might, you know, I might be in a place of, hey, you know, you're this far, but I'm like, mm, that's far, but it's kind of not far enough. Is it kind of one of those things, if you stop and smell the roses, you just might never get back up again? Well, I guess you could say that. I mean, I, I, feel, like, I feel like the thing with entrepreneurship is that knowing that anything is possible, to go after anything, you have to keep going. So I can have a great accomplishment. I mean, I had a Guinness World Record, but then I said, well, and I get another one, you know? So it's like, I'm not going to stop there. I want to keep going. And this is very important. We're going to talk about your Guinness World Records a little bit later. For Fila, <laughs> my favorite is because my son is going after a Guinness Book World Record, but it's for something not nearly as substantial as yours, which is for philanthropy. Mm -hmm. But to get to the philanthropy, the hustle had to come first. Mm -hmm. And you've been running since you were 15 years old. Uh, it's very interesting because a lot of the mompreneurs I talk to, hair is an incredible option for mompreneurs because of the flexibility and freedom it allows you, right? Sure. Sure. Why not? Why not think that? Um, I, I was a full time hairstylist, so no, I know. But I so was, you liked doing hair as a kid, and then it turned into something that allowed you to make money while being able to handle your kids. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, my children who are of age now kind of say the opposite. You know, my children have voiced to me how because I was a successful hairstylist and went to the shop for five, six in the morning and didn't come home till after they were asleep that I lost a lot of time with them. So um, when I was raising them, and I would bring them to the salon, they were in the salon, but we kind of did sacrifice family time and doing stuff, you know, like maybe going to the movies. But do, what was the option? Was there another option? Well, so I think greedily, if in a perfect world, there was a way to be able to, as one person, work hard enough to be able to make enough money for the life that I wanted for them and also make enough time to be able to afford um, them the timing of all of the things that they wanted to do, I could, but that's humanly impossible. 
The, you know, the world is not perfect. That is humanly impossible. <laughs> so I, I think I did the best uh, with what I had. I think you did an amazing job. And I, one of the things that this show is about is you can't have it all, right? Mm-hmm. But in a perfect world, one of the reasons entrepreneurship is such a great opportunity for mothers is because it gives you a chance to pursue a passion that provides for your family. Because you've been passionate about hair since you were a little girl. You were sneaking people into your house to mm-hmm. do their hair. Other people are sneaking people in their house for other reasons, but not you. Yeah, yeah. Well, so being a hairstylist now is like a thing. It's glamorous. It's um, extremely lucrative. But at the time that I was trying to do it, my parents were trying to raise a doctor, a lawyer, you know, all of the things that are listed as the normal successful type thing. But I really, really love doing hair. Um, so they weren't, I'm not going to say that they weren't supportive, but they didn't understand so I did have to, when they were at work, sneak people in. There was one time I hit a girl in the shower. I will never forget. They, I snuck them in. My parents came, early, came home early. We had one bathroom. I hit her in the shower, and my mama went, use the bathroom. Oh, my God. She didn't catch it, though. I snuck her out the house. It was the craziest thing ever. It was the craziest thing ever. I think I was, like, 17. <laughs> yeah. And, and at this point, uh, you were at a head. And I think one of the great things about your story is it's a, a great example of multiple setbacks, just being setups for mm-hmm. comebacks, mm-hmm. because you were on the path by your parents' desire. Like many of us, right? They want you to be the doctor of the life, especially growing up. You know, th- it seems like that's the respectable path. Right. Uh, and so when you were pregnant at 15, your path got changed. And in an incredible way, instead of being on that path, you transferred to trade school, Correct. Well, I got pregnant at 15. Um, I was going to a school that didn't necessarily allow that. So um, I I switched to straight to trade school, but I switched to trade school when I was 17, when I got pregnant the second time. So when I was 15 and I was pregnant, I was going to... Benjamin Franklin High School, which is a top-rated school. Uh, You have to take all of these tests to get in. You have to have a certain kind of IQ to get in. And it was was a great opportunity, but they didn't have anything set up. Like, they didn't have, they had never had nobody that was pregnant there. So they were trying to talk me into going into, like, an alternative school, but my parents didn't want me to go to an alternative school. Uh, But they didn't have, like maternity leave or anything so I wound up having a child had to go back to school like three to four days later and then eventually there was me going to a different school to uh, pursue cosmetology but that was all because yeah it was it it was a lot it was a lot it was a lot I was doing I was I was rebellious um, didn't want to listen wanted to do my own thing wanted to have my own way um, didn't listen to my parents when they say don't you know don't be, you know, messing with those little boys and doing all of that. So I just was doing whatever the hell I wanted to do. But it did lead you to have to lean in career-wise into hair. Did, was there ever a thought where you were like, okay, is, was there ever another option that you considered pursuing besides hair? No, there was never. I did try to work at Burger King once when my parents wanted me to get a job since I had a child, but they told me I had to cut my nails and make my hair smaller and so I think that lasted three days I quit yeah so well, you cutting your hair you cutting your nails now before a different Man, reason. I, know. <laughs> I was looking at your little shorter nails why are you cutting your nails right now uh since we have our baby on the way <laughs> I want to make sure that I don't you know 
that I'm ready. So I'm trying to get to the mommy nails. This is, I think it's going to take me a couple of more months. This these is these are see. I have mommy nails. <laughs> I'm trying to work my way there. I've been wearing long stiletto nails for years now. Like my children are. My current my children now are old. They're in their twenties. So I've been wearing long nails for a long time. So it's going to take a, a while to get used to this. So that was the fun of of being your own boss as a, a hairstylist at the time. You got to do what you want to do. Be who you want to be. Didn't have to answer to people. That's a that's a benefit. I think so. I think um, so. My dad was an entrepreneur too. My dad did everything he wanted before he passed away. He was a real estate agent. He was an accountant. Uh, at one point, he was pursuing the police. So, and then he had his own liquor store when I was growing up. When I was a child, so watching him. Um, was very motivating to say, oh, well, whatever it is I want to do in life, I can go do. And so that's that's kind of what I did. I just had absolutely no idea that I would be landing here. I didn't I didn't have it on my goal list. Hey, I want to be a millionaire. Hey, I want to do this. That was never on my goal list. I just knew I love to do hair. I wanted to do hair. And every year I wanted to make more than I made the year prior to. Like I was real anal. I write what I made every day down to the cent. And I would keep track of it and this I still have a couple of them and it's handwritten I had no idea that this was me training myself to be able to be a businesswoman later on in life your father passed away in 2011 mm-hmm. and you're keeping these records you saw him do everything that he wanted to do and, and take these risks and start these businesses is that a, is, was there a correlation between your dad passing away in 2011 and you starting kaleidoscope very shortly after the, the your hair salon um Yes and no. I had before I got before I opened Kaleidoscope Hair Studio, there was a different salon that I had. I had a um salon with my partner at the time. And in that journey, my father, while he was still alive, when we uh we had one salon and we wanted to expand to another one because the business was growing. So my dad was real pivotal with uh us opening the second place, but that journey made me realize I wanted to do something by myself because I had big grand ideas. And you know when God gives you a vision, he gave it to you. You know, the person laying next to you might not understand. Your mama might not understand, your best your partner friend might not understand. That's what I'm saying. The person laying next to you might not understand. You know, your grandmother, your aunt, your cousin, your cousins, your best friends, a lot of people might not understand the vision that they gave you, but I learned that. Because when I was in um, a partnership with somebody and doing business with somebody, all these great ideas I had, everything was too too large for the person that I was in business with. And I just was tired of being boxed in and restricted. So I started Kaleidoscope Hair Studio to venture off from the thing that I was in so I had no restrictions. Was that a difficult process? Extremely. (laughs) The reason why is because I was a person, like I told you, I used to write everything down. So I write everything down. I planned everything. I did everything. At the time, I only had $2,000 in my savings account. And the security deposit to Kaleidoscope was how much? $1,800. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say... They're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, so the math ain't mathing. No, <laughs> no, but God, let me tell you something. I'm a very faith-based woman. God told me to move. 
I did not understand it. And then I realized afterwards he was breaking my mold of knowing that everything doesn't have to go by how you write it. Everything does not have to go by what you want it to be. Everything is not going to go your way. But if you just follow his direction, everything will be fine. Because I was left with $200 to try to figure out furniture, getting the lights cut on, Paint. television, everything. I, I was left with trying to figure that out. And it happened. It's not like money fell out the sky, but from there it was like, now it's time to get now it's time to get to work because faith without work, I mean faith, you know, faith without works is dead. So Absolutely. then I was doing what I called it a hairathon. I don't care if you came two in the morning, four in the morning, three in the morning, ten at night, I I'm I'm your person. That's incredible. So when you talk about this hairathon, you still have three kids, and at this point they mm-hmm. are not grown. Correct. They're part of this. They're they're literally at the salon with Correct. you Cor- well, in the middle end. of the night, in the middle of the day, whatever's going on. Yeah, yeah. The bigger picture was, this is about to be awesome. Like, yeah, this was cool, but this is about to be awesome. I wanted to have a space that was a little bit more elevated, where I could charge more for booth rent, where I could not only that, but I was a I was a full time hairstylist that was appointment only, and I always had overage. And so I wanted to be able to build other hairstylists and their clientele. So I, I, to me, it was like the bigger picture of not just restricting it to this little small box that I was in. So I wanted to be able to expand it into making it more prestige, into making it more acclimated for what I wanted, having more stylists, build their clientele. And yeah, just all for different things. Like I wanted to be colorful, chandeliers, all the rest of that. And I got every single last thing that I wanted. What's interesting is a, a lot of women I talk to say you don't need money, a lot of money to start a business, but to grow and sustain it, you do. You, you, during this process, when you first went off on your own, you started Kaleidosco Hair Studio, and you only had a couple hundred dollars left after the deposit. Mm-hmm. Did you go to the bank for funding? Did you get loans? Or did you just do the hairathon and pay for it in that way? I did, and the hairathon was in a week. By the way, that was until I, until the salon was completed. So that was months. Um, but I did get a credit card. I think I had like a ten thousand dollar limit on my credit card. So that was something. Um, but then you, it's not you, you pay it back. So it's not like it's a loan where you have installments. Um, that was about the only thing. Outside of that, I am a person that believes in having good credit. I was taught that as a child. So I have been very meticulous about paying my bills on time. I am big on budgeting. I like to be able to, um, for my bills to be three times less than what my um, income is. So I like to be able to afford it three times over. So I am real meticulous about that because I also know anything that comes also can leave at any moment. I try not to overextend myself. I try not to put myself in a position where um, it's financially straining. Uh, especially now, you know, when I have a lot of people counting on me, a lot of different people who I provide jobs to, you know, having my grown-ass children, excuse my language, my grown children. <laughs> Your grown-ass children, that's right. totally fine. <laughs> right, my grown-ass children. Um, my mom, who also didn't want me to be a hairstylist, I retired her. What did she so, say when you retired your mom after all of these shenanigans, being kicked out the house, um, not wanting you to be a hairstylist, but here you are retiring her? Um... So I'm not going to say she wasn't supportive. It's just hard to see. I didn't see it. So, you know, I, I didn't expect it. Um, at, at some point, of course, they, they started to see it once things started happening anyway. Like once I had a successful salon, they saw it. 
Uh, but my mom has been supportive. My mom helped me raise all of my children because I was a teenager when I had them. So she has been a great right hand. She actually, um, when I retired her, she, she worked for me for a little while. So she did because she worked at the post office. So that was perfect for me. So that was, she knew all of the shipping logistics and everything. She can so make sure your stuff didn't get lost. When I tell you, no, not just that, but she knew shipping logistics. She knew rates. She knew a lot of different things that were real beneficial to my business. So I re, when she retired from USPS, she worked for Kaleidoscope. But eventually, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, I feel so bad that this lady retired and now she come and work for me. But she was <laughs> able to help me stand up my business in the particulars. And now, you know, but she's fine. She's supportive. It's fantastic. And, and the reason you can do all of that is because of the way that you budgeted. But sometimes you can't budget for certain things. Just a, a few months after you started Kaleidoscope. Tragedy happened. Mm-hmm. And this is not your first rodeo with tragedy, mm-hmm. but this was a, a devastating blow. The salon that you worked so hard, mm-hmm. here you are, this is your dreams. You're like, I'm going off on my own. Boom, a curling iron fire. Yep. Yep, watch it all go in flames. But you know, I'm also a survivor of Katrina. I know. No, so, that's, so, so, so for that's, people who don't know your story, yeah. in 2005, your whole hair situation got uprooted. You had to leave New Orleans and go to Houston, but you were going back and forth and doing hair for months with your kids and your hair and all of this stuff. <sighs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's my life. Right. So, yeah. So Katrina happened. Um, everybody in New Orleans is uprooted. Yeah. Uh, I moved to Houston. Like a lot of New Orleans people. Yeah, I moved to Houston. Me and my children's father were debating about he had my boys. I had my daughter. I told him, you know, because at the time we were not together. He was trying to get with me. He said, the only way I go where you're going is if we could try to get together. I, was, I didn't care what I had to tell him. I wanted my children. So I said, okay, sure, we could try to make something work. So, um, and that was a lie. <laughs> That's such a mom move. <laughs> that was such a lie. Anyway, so we moved to Houston. Then I realized in Houston that um, the stuff that I did, the stuff that I specialized in, the, the New Orleans woman, um, wore it more often. Like in Houston, a lot of these people were professional and they didn't get their hair done like the New Orleans women get their hair done fun. once a week to go out to the club doing this, that, and the other. So once I realized that the, the situation was different, the first thing I did was, I will never forget, I traveled back to New Orleans when we weren't supposed to go back. Yeah, you were you driving. Not, it was just like the Underground Railroad back to New Orleans. Because it was, no, for real, they had um, National Guards. You had to get past the National Guards. Like, you know, we had a New Orleans you know, like group text, how you could sneak in and where you could go. I was just trying to get in the city because they still had dead bodies. Like they had a lot of stuff that they were still cleaning up. I was trying to get to New Orleans to get my picture book to be able to bring it to Kinko's to make color copies, to make flyers because I knew what I did, which was some, I hate to put it, but like some real ghetto shit. Like I did, like that's, that's the type of hair I did. They didn't really have that in Houston. And I know a lot of people from New Orleans moved to Houston. So I know that my services were needed there, so I, flew, so I drove back to New Orleans when I wasn't supposed to be there. And you didn't know your picture book had survived or not? You were hoping the picture book had survived? Of course. You I, didn't I was, know God I, I was, saved the picture book. I, yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I got there. One of them did. One of them didn't. But the one that did, I made um, color copies at Kinko's, and I put flyers in Sharpstown Mall. I will never forget. I walked around Sharpstown Mall passing out flyers, and them color copies are high. They're expensive. Especially back then. We, people don't understand. It was like $1.25 per oh copy God. at Kinko's. And then imagine, I didn't have no money. 
No. I have no money like that. The only thing I had, I was saving up to have a salon. So I had a little, like this was this was before my salon. So I was saving up to have a salon. This was back in 2005 before I ever had any salon. So I had a little money, but I had to. I had my children. We had to get a place to stay. I wasn't like getting assistance was real tricky back then. It, it, you know, you had to. I was living with my mom at the time, so since I wasn't the owner of the house, I didn't qualify for assistance. So it was a big, it was a big mess. But I went to Houston, and I was building clients there. But New Orleans, as it started getting back open. They, they didn't have people there. They didn't have, like, necessity people there. Like, they didn't have hairstylists there. They didn't have this there. They didn't have that there. I would travel from Houston to New Orleans Friday and do hair Saturday and Sunday and make more money Saturday and Sunday than I would the whole week in Houston. So that's why I was traveling back and forth. I had my children in school in Houston. I wanted to make sure my children could finish school where they were at. But my money was in New Orleans. I made some money in Houston, but the real money was in New Orleans. I mean, when I went there, because, again... This was before the Harathon ever happened. This was the first Harathon. This was a Harathon 1.0. Right. So I was so, I was, because I wouldn't stop. I, I would always have somebody come with me, and they would drive me there and then drive me back. Because I would, I, would, I would do it overnight. I would, as soon as I stopped, as uh, soon as I got there, I would start and just keep going, keep going, keep going until I left. That's insane. I don't know. Why am I like that? Oh, well, you're a survivor. I mean, Jesus. Well, actually, that is, a, that, is, that is a rhetorical question. Yeah. That is why you are like, here. I think people call that a workaholic, but I, for me, it's like, how else are you supposed to get it? And then, if you're going to do something, why not get as much as you can? So, I, I am not a person that really believes in, oh, hey, let me take a break. This, that, and I might as well get it done right now. I might as well get it done right now, especially if I can. Not only that, but if you can go as far as you can, why just go this far? If I could go this far, I know it's going to be a little bit harder, a little bit more painful, a little bit more time, a little bit more sacrifice, but I'd rather get here than to get here. And I think that is the MO, because you saw, you say you didn't know you could get here, but deep down inside, this drive wasn't just on quicksand. You, you, you believed in yourself. Obviously, you believed in your talent, and you have excellent business intuition. Like you knew if you could just show the people, you're a very good storyteller. Mm. Somehow you knew if you got that picture book of your ghetto fabulous hair mm -hmm. hairstyles <laughs> and just showed them those $1.25 Kinko copies would pay for themselves tenfold. Mm -hmm. So you're investing in yourself. And so you, you got it together. New Orleans slowly reopened. You started the first salon with your ex-partner and then you start Kaleidoscope. Then Kaleidoscope burns down. And at this point, many people maybe would say, it's just not in the cards for me. I, I don't know. If I'm I pretty feel, strong. And I might just say, you know what? I, I got to nope, give up. Nope. Nope. I, I, I never at no point felt like that. The first thing I felt was, God, and this isn't, this isn't anything with tragedy. What's the lesson I'm supposed to learn in this? I know that I'm not going through this pain. I know I'm not going through this tragedy. I'm not, I know I'm not going through this for nothing. So what is the lesson that I'm supposed to learn in this? So I, what I took from it was um, when you do this thing, just do it smarter this time around. And since everybody's watching, because when that thing happened in New Orleans, New Orleans hairstylists everywhere heard about it. And everybody started contributing. I had hairstylists left and right donating. Because it wasn't just me. I had like five other stylists in there with me. They were donating equipment, donating hair products. They were donating, you know, services. They even gave a function. They donated money. All to get us back up and running.
But what a lot of people don't realize is when you have a fire or a flood or whatever, there's a lot of red tape around it. Like, I couldn't even go in there and, like, get anything or touch anything because they have to investigate the scene to make sure it's not this and make sure it's not that. So even if I wanted, like, I wanted to go clean it up. Nope. I, I, I didn't want to keep looking at it like that. I felt like it was such an eyesore, and I felt like, here it is, here's my, my baby in front of me, and it just needs to be dressed, and it's out there naked, and you couldn't touch it. Like, I couldn't touch it for months, and it was, it was like the worst thing. It's like looking at it, and it can't do nothing about it. All the volunteers are trying to, hey, when can we help come clean? And you just have to wait for the people to come and do what they have to do. And once they do what they have to do, you know, you know, you kind of pull yourself together. But for me, knowing that New Orleans was watching, knowing that I had all these eyes on me, I felt even more compelled to have to come back better and stronger because I felt like I had to prove to the world that if I can do it, you can do it too. If I can get over this tragedy, this huge tragedy, and come back 10 times better, then you could do it too. It's just this time around, I want the chandeliers cheaper, so I want, <laughs> instead of me going to the chandelier place that's in New Orleans, I went to DH Gate, and like I was ordering stuff from China, I was doing all kind of things to try to cut my cost and not have to spend as much because this, I have to do the same thing that I did, but in a very small condensed amount of time. And I couldn't wait for insurances and wait for whatever it is that they were going to rule. And then the landlord at the time was saying half of the stuff in there was his. So I had a lot of stuff I was fighting with, but I had people relying on me. I had clients that was trying to be in their own personal space because we moved from there back into the space that I had with the person that I was with, but that had turned into a barbershop. So now, you know, there's a, there's a totally a, different vibe. Yes. This is not what you're looking for. Yes. So <laughs> I you wanted come the kaleidoscope. <laughs> right. I, I wanted, I wanted us to get back in our comfortable space and I felt fully compelled to do that. So it was doing it smarter, bringing it back bigger, bringing it back better. And then I offered products, which I had no idea we're going to do what they did. Somebody well, now, I want to talk about that because this is very interesting. Let's say fire hadn't happened, which is going on with your awesome expensive chandelier, your beautiful mm -hmm. first-rate salon. Do you think that the products would have been put on hold while you enjoyed this? Do you think that perhaps the pause, the months of pause of the hair studio impacted the growth, the, the faster growth of your desire to have the product line? The product thing was something that somebody had to damn near bend my arm behind my back to do. When, did, when was that? Was that before the fire or after the fire? It was before the fire. So they someone had, was... They had been in my ear since before I had Kaleidoscope Hair Studio at all. I, you know, it was like, you should really do products. And, and I was like, I don't want to sell no $5 spritz at my... I do sew-ins for $300. I don't care about <laughs> no $5 spritz. I had no idea. You know, my mind was stuck on servicing. I had no idea to think about selling mass amounts to people versus standing behind a chair. So, I, you know, the person just kept on saying, this is somebody that I watched come to the salon all the time selling his products. It was like, you really should do it. And we got cool. And this person kind of turned into a little bit of a mentor for me. It was just like, just try it. I'm going to connect you with somebody. Just try it. And the thing that pushed me to do it, one of my clients cheated on me and went to a hairstylist and came back and had a big ball spot in the middle of her head because the lady put a goddamn bobby pin in her head to do a ponytail. So then I felt compelled to bring it back because, see, I told your ass, don't be going nowhere else. But anyway, 
Oh my goodness. Also, I give you A plus for compassion. Not everybody would have taken her back. Yeah, no, I no, I'm not like that. <laughs> but we have heard a thing. Your compassion is to thank for your multi-million dollar business. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so she comes back with the bald spot. Right. I felt I felt compelled to do it. So I was like, he keeps telling me to get products. All right, so connect me with the people, you know, and I want something that can help fix this. This is, I want something that can help fix this. Because it was a common problem, because we did not have YouTube, we did not have any information about hair health. You mm -hmm. were literally like the witch doctor when it came to black women's hair, the, the hairstylist. We had no knowledge of how to fix yeah. our own hair or do anything with ourselves. Without you, nobody has any information or materials. Yeah, you talking about as a hairstylist? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like she yeah. came to you, there's, you weren't going, there's no place else to go. It's for, like, first of all, you take your, girl, we got, and then her hair was like this long. I grew her hair real long. So you, you had an invested interest, they come back, and what is the product that you start with? Uh, so the Miracle Drops mm -hmm. is the thing that we made for that for her, but I did some extensive, that was the last thing I took to market. Because like baldness, and hair loss and all the rest of that wasn't on the forefront for me at the time. I had that one client dealing with that. So you had the secret hookup to the Miracle Drops recipe, but publicly you started, since you were already dabbling, you started doing the spritzes and things like that. Well, the mentor that I had gave me his team, like he, he referred me his team a chemist. So I, I wanted to come out with a few products. It's just the Miracle Drop were the last ones that I sold because for me, I was selling it to my clients as an upsell. I wasn't even selling it to the public. I was like, oh, I could just add this to their service. So edge control was the thing. Then it was spritz. Then it was diamond shine. And then it was the miracle drop. So the miracle drops was the last thing on my list because I felt like the edge control was the thing because everybody wanted the edge control. So the first thing I took to market was something that I call sleek edges. And I did something called the Edge Police. Love it. Which in real, it was me and a friend of mine in real time, party city uniforms, dressing up like cops, friends. Like we would go on social media and say, hey, the Edge Police gonna be out today. Send us your friend's address that you want us to pull up on. So we pulling up on, at strangers' houses with our phones. Um, we had somebody <laughs> with a phone recording us. And we slicking their edges and we putting it on social media. And it's the craziest thing. People were so entertained by that. People had no idea that they were being forced to watch a tutorial while laughing. It's called like edutainment. So it's education with entertainment at the same time. Because I'm a person, I love to do remakes. And Cops was a great series. And I figured, why not do it with hair? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, was this your idea, the edge police, like the whole skit and all of these different things? Because it takes, we all have the ideas where we're sitting around just kind of like having fun. You bring these things to fruition. Mm -hmm. You actually make it happen and reap the rewards. How do you do this? Like, I feel like, um, you know what I really feel like? I feel like because I was such a young mom, I think I live my childhood now. I think all of the craziest ideas that I've ever had, I am not scared to do. And I don't know if it's because... 
you know, maybe in my teenage years or whatever, I didn't do a lot of stuff, but I will take the craziest marketing idea. I don't care how crazy it is. I didn't had, I didn't record it before with a unicorn, a real life horse with a thing on it. So I really, whatever is my most far-fetched idea, I feel like, okay, that's the one we should go with. I, I think I'm kind of fearless when it comes to stuff like that. And I think because my brand itself has been inclusive before, it was a marketing tactic for people. Um, I think a lot of people relate to our authenticity. A lot of people like how um, relatable we've been this whole entire time. I think a lot of people like um, that I have quality uh, products and I'm not just selling bullshit or saying, hey, this is such and such and this is how it works. I'm the one that's going to say, now, girl, why your edges look like that? You know, that's <laughs> that's who I am. And it's so much fun. And, and you have done such a great job of doing what so many of us wish we could figure out, which is understanding the social media game and harnessing the power of social media. When, when did you, when do you think you first began realizing, wait, this, this works, this, my profile and the silly things I do, this is my ticket. It was, it was probably before that. So it wasn't even kind of like the silly thing. So when I opened Kaleidoscope Hair Studio, I, I um, try to find the most popular we're, we now call them influencers, but that's not, they had, there was no name for it back then. Try to find people that were trending at the time in my area to be able to promote my salon. So because I didn't have a marketing budget, I would give them hair for free and let them have hair services for free in exchange for exposure on their page. I watched how they grew our platform tremendously. So then I uh, then looked outside of New Orleans and I looked into different areas and say, hey, why don't I find somebody else that's trending and let them talk about the hair products? And when that happened, I was like, oh, people are ordering, ordering from Italy. Like, I ain't never been to Italy myself, you know? <laughs> so once I realized that that was a thing, I just kind of, I just went with any, any kind of crazy idea that comes to my mind. I can open my phone right now. I have a, a idea note. That's just ongoing. And you never know when you're going to take something off that idea note. And you never know when it's its time. And it's almost as though you have like a, a psychic crystal ball when it comes to <laughs> this stuff. Because you were doing influencing before people were doing, doing this. And what I find interesting about you, just in the same way you hired someone to drive you back and forth from Houston to New Orleans. You hire these influencers. You are not afraid, which is really difficult for a mompreneur because a, a lot of us are so worried about taking money that could feed our kid and trying to invest it in a dream, right? Where it's very difficult to put uh, hope into something that's not exactly tangible. Because influencers aren't, you don't know what you're going to get sometimes, mm -hmm. right? And you have done everything from the hair bundles for the local person to five figures for Snoop Dogg, Young D, all these different mm -hmm. people. How, what is your advice to people who want to do this, but they're afraid that their investment will flop? Like they're afraid spending five figures on a celebrity endorsement and not reaping the rewards. Like it's difficult. A hundred percent transparency right now. It is 50% hit or miss. Back when Instagram was Instagram years ago, you had a higher chance of having a home run right now. You have to fully do your homework before you do it. Like I would never forget. I did a, um, I did a campaign, I won't say with what celebrity, I did a campaign with somebody and it was like 30K for this person. And I can't necessarily say I had that kind of budget. I didn't even make $30 back. Really? Yes, she had a huge platform, but she also was bald head. But I figured like, you know, but you see how I'm saying like that, it, it didn't go. 
So she was bald head, but I was trying to use her platform because we use humor a lot of time to be able to sell our product, but there was no sales. So her demographic of her people didn't give two cares about hair growth, hair growth products or anything like that. So anytime you, you know that you want to be able to give exposure to your brand, you need to make sure that it aligns and that the person's demographic actually fits with what you're selling and that they're sellable because you can have somebody that has a lot of followers. But if you look in the comment section, they're not asking, where you got that from? Where did you buy this? Where did you boot it? They're just saying, oh, your booty fat. Oh, you're this, this, and the other. You, gotta, you have to really look into the particulars and the details. Or they're bots. There's that. <laughs> but you know, there's a track. There's a, um, there's an app called Modash. Modash IQ that actually tells fake followers, fake likes, fake everything. So, because that's the thing, too. I, but I'm a person that is a big risk taker, and I will, to this day, I will close out, I will take everything out of my bank account and risk it on um, stuff like, like when scaling my business, it always is inventory. Like when I was uh, growing a business, my CPA, and I so thank him for that, made me buy real estate. And every time you scale, it's expensive. So I'm just so happy that I had pieces of property that I would sell. I would just sell. I would be like, let me sell this piece of property so I could, you know, invest in this. Um, because it's the passive inventory. income. Like you buy something for X, and then with the two X you get, then you can invest in the inventory. And also, I think you were smart, and you bought warehouse space, mm -hmm. too. So you don't have to rent and be worried about kicked out, have to worry about your rent going up. All mm -hmm. kinds of things. I had an apartment complex, a strip center. What I, the last thing I have now is a strip mall. I sold an apartment complex during COVID because, you know, the COVID, when COVID happened, every, people that was there to make the money, we was making money. I mean, every, every human being on the earth was on the internet trying to spend money on something. That's all people were doing all day long. They were getting dressed up to go to Instagram or getting dressed up to go to some kind of social something. So we were making money. So I had to, I had to get some more inventory. And then the um, supply chain issue, I had to get different manufacturers. So I was like, what, what can I do? Because I'm not trying to get a loan from this person. I'm not trying to get no investors. Self-funding. Yes. And talk that. about that because uh, a lot of the mompreneurs really look for creative funding to specifically not have business partners why is that important do you think why do you think it's important to try to keep as much of the business for yourself as possible um for me i'll say this i think a lot of people overthink business i think everybody feels like it has to have perfect timing i have to have this kind of budget i have to have this kind of thing but you the first thing you could do is do the stuff that's free you know, like even down to figuring out your name getting your llc doing all of that getting making your social media page Actually doing the research on if you, you want to have a product, actually doing the research on finding different manufacturers, getting the pricing. There's a lot to do before you spend a dollar. So I feel like a lot of people want to get, want to wait till they get some money, want to get somebody to help fund them, want to do all of this, but don't even have the full knowledge of everything that you're about to walk into. Why don't we learn about the industry that you're walking into? If you want to make these big fluffy socks for children, that's great. 
What's the average cost of that? How much can you sell it for? Have you found a manufacturer that can give you a great cost on your, you know, on your goods to be able to sell it at this rate? How much do you have to buy for that rate to change? How, what does this even look like in turnover time? Who's going to be able to ship it for you? What's the, what's the cost of shipping? Are you going to ship for free? If you ship it for free, have you factored that in your cost of goods? It's so many different things that you have to factor in before you even touch a dollar. So I feel like people always want to jump over the learning process and won't go straight into what they think should work. That's a word. I mean, I, I think that it's very difficult. How can people learn? So you are fortunate because I, they always say it takes 10 years to, to become a master at something, right? So because mm -hmm. you started with hair at, at 15, by the time you were 25, you were pretty much a master of, of the type of hair that worked with your clientele mm -hmm. when, you went to, when, when you went to Houston and then came back to um, New Orleans and started your first salons and then um, started Kaleidoscope. Um, how can people learn? What are, what, are, what are ways people should try to become a master of the industry they're interested in? Google. <laughs> that is, when I tell you, Google, when, when it comes to even down to me trying to find more manufacturers, because currently we have manufacturers. I have, um, when I first started selling the Miracle Drops, uh, I would be buying a few hundred at a time. Right now, our minimum order quantity for my drops is 200,000 pieces. That's incredible. Thank you. And that is not, how many years? Because you didn't start, um, Miracle Drops 20, was the last product. Yep, 2014, and uh, we had 2023, nine years. So in less years. than 10 years, mm -hmm. the exponential growth of just that one product, as well as the whole line, Correct. is out of control. But let me tell you this. The person I was in the situation with could only produce like 10,000 pieces in a week. But then the business grew to a point where that just wasn't enough. And they weren't, and they weren't, growing with me and I don't knock them for that but had I stayed there because of their incapability of growing with me I would not have been able to grow into where I am now the manufacturer I have now there was there was a person in between the person I have now and the person I had in the beginning they also had an issue with trying to keep up with demand but that's why I say a lot of people think that we have this magic circle of people. We hold our resources in. We know we're not telling people. Half of that shit we find be on Google. <laughs> I love it. And Alibaba. <laughs> be that on is, Google. It's so much fun. And I, I think that is a, a big lesson because it, that's why we were doing the series. It's mm -hmm. because you are a regular person mm -hmm. who figured it out. And it was not easy. And yeah. it was not like it just was a clear trajectory. You had a lot of money lost, a lot of drama. Yep. But you kept getting back up and you took charge of the situation. Um, what is your advice for any mom who would like to, besides just Googling, find it within themselves? Because you must have been exhausted. You have three kids. You're traveling back and forth. You're displaced for a lot of this. How do you stay faithful? I know God is, is a, a very important part of this. But like you said, without works, faith is dead. Mm -hmm. What is your advice for people who just feel like, I'm just too tired. I just can't. I don't believe in I can't. I 100% I, I don't believe in I can't. I have been exhausted myself. Um, I think you never know exactly how far you can go until you stretch yourself. I think it's great to take um, mental space and mental time alone. I also think that people should um, pay attention to their surroundings because I think a lot of time people don't realize that energy is transferable. And so us being moms, us having to, you know, raise our kids and do all the things that we have to do, 
Um, if you don't have the right kind of support or if you have the wrong kind of support, uh, that can also be taxing on you emotionally. So I would say as much as you can, make sure to click to keep your space clear of any negative energy and have positive energy. And when you think you ain't got the time, when you're in the bed and you're sitting there thinking about everything else or you're scrolling on Instagram or doing whatever it is, you might be on Google just looking up something like, what can I buy my daughter? Like, let me find out something about some grapes. It's okay to take that time and do some research for yourself. It's okay as a mom to actually take you time. You know, I don't think that's taken away from the children. The children are taken care of. They're straight. You now can actually get on your phone and do the research for yourself. You can take five minutes out of your day and just jot down some notes that even might, you know, make you smile. There was a practice that I did I will never forget. I definitely believe in therapy and mental health and all the rest of it. I was going to a therapist at the time, and I was going through this thing where I was like, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but something just don't feel right. So my therapist told me to do this thing I would never forget and put as my screensaver. Um, and this is when, like, when you're going through something and you just feel like you wake up and it's still there and it doesn't go away. All the time. Right. <laughs> my life. <laughs> so find a great um, photo for your screensaver, whether it's yourself, whether it's your kids, whether it's whatever it is. It can even be a vacation home that you're dreaming of having. You, you, you have that as your screensaver, and then you put four words that bring you joy that, you know, like that you think about yourself that really make you happy. And believe it or not, that in a, in a matter of like 48 hours had me smiling. And it was, it's because it's a constant, because, you know, you always have What was have the picture? My Shopify. Um, <laughs> my, it, my, my, it was my Shopify report for my income to date at the time. And then my words were... Um, uh, prosper, growth. Um, it, it was four different things, but it was my Shopify. It was a reminder that you, yes, you have done it. That, and I know that sounded a little vain because it was it about is not money. Vain. It is but not it was. vain. Here's the thing that we need to realize. I think we have to change our relationship to money. It's not vain because that created, that prosperity created generational wealth that's mm -hmm. helping your family succeed, right? Like you, with your manifestation and with your hard work and dedication and tremendous work on yourself, and I really appreciate you bringing up therapy. I don't know what I'd do if I'm a therapist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that, that worked for you and that worked to get your family to where it is. And also, the prosperity got you miracle drops finally to the market <laughs> and also not just bringing you generational wealth, but also romantic love. How did you and the brat meet over miracle drops? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, my God. And we definitely met over Miracle Drops. That is a great way to put that. <laughs> so when I, when I finally, because, oh, when I tell you, I used to have to fight with the Internet. You only successful because you were the celebrity. First of all, I only met a celebrity because I was successful. <laughs> like, let's. <laughs> Let's get it straight. It didn't happen in that order. So 
Uh, when I was blessed enough to be able to um, work with different celebrities, it was Michael Blackson that gave me the first opportunity. I had been reaching out to different people. Nobody cared who I was. You weren't just reaching out. You were No, reaching out is a calm way of doing it. You were accosting. You were in their space. And I love what you say. You're just like, you can't, if you're a businesswoman, you got to be persistent. You don't have to be rude. But you gotta be persistent. So okay. So, but the first one that you started working with was Michael. <laughs> yes. So Michael Blackson was the first person that gave me an opportunity. There were a lot of no's, which you waited for. Gonna, yes. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk about the no's. But Michael Blackson let me do a run up on him where I, you know, he was in New Orleans. I knocked on the door, act like I was the housekeeper, say, "Hey, I saw the bald headed woman you was with. Tell her use these drops." And once he did it and we posted it. Then some of the people that had been telling me no now have said yes. So there was Michael Blackson. There was a Black China. There was de- I, anybody that I could run up on, I ran up on. I would never and forget. And did you slide into DMs like, yo, I'm doing these things. Can I run up on you in this viral video? Um, Michael Blackson? Yeah. It was his... It was his manager. So, but this is very important. You reached out to these people. This was not just something that happens. You had to figure out the people you wanted to target. You took the nose. You finally get a yes, and you take those yeses, and you extrapolate to more yeses. Yeah, I, don't, I ain't scared of no. <laughs> I don't care who tell me no, because I feel like he's saying no now. I'm not scared of no, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not scared of rejection. I guess that's what you call it. I feel like if this was the no, then they must have a bigger yes. So I'm I'm not scared of that, but um, so from Michael to Black China, Milan, everybody. Right. So with Brett, um, we actually had a makeup artist that we used in common in L.A. Her name is Sean Simon. And so I told, because anybody I come, you who you do, girl, hook me up with this person, that person, this person, that person, this person. Tell them I pay good <laughs> and I want to do a run up video. So it just so happened that Sean. I had did Lisa Ray already, and she told me that she does Brad. So, I mean, uh, Sean told me she did Brad. So, I was like, okay, well, hook me up with Brad's team, and let's get her to do promo. So, Brad actually did promo, and from there, she said, well, who is this person? And she started following me on social media, and I do, you know, I do inspirational videos. I do a lot of different things. So, she was following me. She was commenting. Sometimes, she would be in my live. We had never met and I went on tour that year. I, teach, I, was, I was teaching entrepreneurship on tour, and she stopped at one of my tour stops. She didn't tell me she was coming. She told it to my assistant. I had no idea. So I'm closing out my session, and afterwards, there's the picture taken and whatever else. People, you know, people want to pitch their businesses, whatever else. So I'm standing at the step and repeat, taking pictures, and she's there. I didn't know she was there. She always tells the story. She's like, I was waiting for you for 30. They had me standing in the back waiting for you for 30 minutes while you signing autographs, taking pictures. I was like, I didn't even know you were there. I didn't you know were there for was. business. You weren't thinking I about I had no idea that she was there. So then they walk her in while I'm taking pictures, and there's a line of people. And everybody's like, that's the bread. It's like, what? What? Where? <laughs> So she came by me, she took a picture, she saw how, you know, how I had, I still had a line of people to finish taking pictures with. She said, so let's link later. And I was like, okay, girl, we can link later. And I'm thinking, okay, she wants to link later. So I get to my Airbnb, I change my clothes, decompress, put on some comfortable clothes, and I meet her at um, So So Deaf Studio. You know, and she was like, well, where your camera person? Where your team? I said, I said, you said let's link later. I thought you was, you know, I thought this was about to be a date. So I'm here to link, you know, like, okay, hey, girl, what are we doing? So from there, she got real, um, 
She got real nervous. She dropped, she was smoking a blunt. She dropped it on, burnt the hole in the couch. She was trying to drink a drink, spilled it all on her clothes. Because we were talking and we was talking about different things that we interested in. And I turned to her, I said, well, I'm interested in you. And she was like, she had never met somebody that's been so upfront and so aggressive. So yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of our beginning. I love it. And I also love that you get to clear the air mm-hmm. that you being you is what caused this. You were just being you, a professional businesswoman, yep. trying to get your, your products out there, and all of these blessings came to you. The hard work was there in the beginning, but how you've approached life since the hard work, giving back, being a, a, a person who is not just about you, but about your community, led to this, which is incredible. So when we're looking at this, you mentioned earlier your Guinness Book World Records, right? And you talked about how you met through launching these products and as part of launching these products, doing these sessions where you help other entrepreneurs mm-hmm. become business people as well. Um, why are you so passionate about giving back to the point where you're winning world records for the amount of hair care products that you are giving in 24 hours, which I think is an, in- an incredible feat. Thank you. Um, my mom always tells the story that um, when I used to go to daycare, I would come home, like they would, we would always get cookies and I would come home. I would always come home with two cookies and give it to my sister. Like they would be crumbled up sometimes, they still would be whole. But I really think that it has to be in your heart from, from birth. I really don't think that's something that, you know, that just happens or that comes with the obligation of being a business owner. I think that my heart is made that way. What does being a mompreneur mean to you? Mom first. That's definitely in it. Um, being a mom and being an entrepreneur. I think that's all things. I feel like, first of all, being a mom is some stuff that is indescribable. Like, I think a lot of people don't even give a lot of credit to that because it's, people feel like it's done so often. But carrying a life... Me watching it this time as a mature woman, watching somebody else get to experience it and experience it with them. Who I had no idea. Who's just literally from ground floor, not knowing what on earth is going on. I mean, I had three children and experiencing it this time is so different for me. It's, it's like when I had my three children, I was younger, you know, and things happened and it wasn't planned. And now this is something that we're wanting and we're going to the ultrasound. We're excited. We listening to the growth where, you know, the baby's currently one pound, seven ounces, you know, all of these different things and these advanced technologies. I think it's just amazing to be able to watch that and then give birth and then raise a child. So I think that within itself is huge. Add entrepreneurship to that, that makes you a superhero. Because being an entrepreneur, you have to be halfway crazy because you have to believe something is possible that has never been done before, or you have to believe something is possible that you can't see. That takes crazy. That takes a certain bit of crazy. So I think that that, that makes you a superhero. Some, some of the same crazy when you look at your little baby mm-hmm. and you have big dreams for them that other people can't see. You're, you have your, your actual human babies, and then you have your business babies. Yep. And it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. With yeah. Pits and Walls. And so we're so grateful that you were here talking about your business babies, your actual babies, your grandbaby you're mm-hmm. going to go and do an incredible Easter party for. Yes. <laughs> and another one on the way. A few more months, you'll yep. be a mama for. Starting over, girl. <laughs> Starting over. Any advice for people who are in the process of thinking that they want a, a late-in-life baby? Um, 
don't be scared. Don't be scared. I think for me, again, watching my wife who's 48 experience pregnancy at her age and fall in love with the process and being so connected to the process and being so in love with the process and being amazed at looking at an ultrasound. And a lot of people think it's extremely dangerous or it's impossible or, you know, but this whole process, we have to go to maternal fetal specialists to make sure everything's right. We have to go to our OBGYN to make sure everything's right. And everything has been fine. So I, I, I think a lot of people have a fear that once they get a certain age that it's impossible. I think a lot of people should educate themselves on what that looks like, though, because at a certain age, you lose a lot of eggs. So just knowing the time frame, anything over 40, understanding the time frame that you have left. And if you don't want to do it right now, at least freeze your eggs. These are all types of things you talk about on your show. And one of the last things I want to mention, which I think is really brilliant, is you said in 2018 that you wanted your products to be in mainstream stores. You said you've set that goal for yourself. And here we are 2023 and you're in dozens of stores. I find your use of your reality show as a professional launch pad to be extraordinarily brilliant because not only, of course, do they follow your journey, but you also, as always, reinvested money mm-hmm. that they pay you for the reality show into ad sales. Talk mm-hmm. to us really quickly because I think that's very important because the reinvestment of money in a business is crucial to its growth and you have mm-hmm. strategized very well. Why did you take so much money and invest in your first season of your reality show on WeTV in commercials at every single break for Kaleidoscope. <laughs> I feel like y'all gave me some new eyeballs. I'm gonna show you what I'm gonna do with them. You know, like for all of these people that are here, I know you're here to learn about our relationship, but guess what else we offer? You know, like I feel like um, understanding that the demographic of the people that I have on Instagram that are currently consumers is far different from the demographic of television that actually is a totally different age range, totally different consumer. And I felt like I wanted to aggressively get in front of their eyes, and it exponentially grew our sales. And so that ep- episodic rate that they gave me, I put it right into commercials. So did you, was it actually, was it a, an even Steven, do you think? Like, how much did you spend on commercials? I think it might have been, like, close to 100 $100,000 an episode in commercials. No, total. Total. $100,000 yeah. total mm-hmm. for commercials. But how many how much x did that pay off? Because the commercials Oh. Psh. The first the first week we our sales in um in retail went up like 700%. So, there you have it. So I was like, I'm going to continue this. Like this was super cute, you know? And I was like, oh my god, cuz watching the, the biggest reward for me for that is the commercials were also with my staff. So my staff got to watch themselves on TV, too. So it was like a win. We were at, our, you know, we were at the launch party, so we were happy that we had the show, but then my staff got to see themselves on TV as well. So. And you're very good about giving back, and not just with your staff, but also with your boo, because now you have an actual bona fide licensing deal. You didn't just say, hey, let's do a product together. You did it the right way. You have sure did. the Brat Kaleidoscope line. Correct. Correct. Why I, did you, and, and you know, you, you've mixed business with love before. Mm-hmm. What did you learn the, this time around that you wanted to do to keep things on the up and up? So for this one, I feel like my wife 
doesn't really understand her earning potential, right? So can't we say that about so many of our partners? Oh <laughs> my god! Oh my god! She, I feel like that's so. I watch her and I watch her mannerisms, and I was trying to do something that would mitigate the amount of time that she would have to do anything. But I also felt like what would be the perfect thing? How can I get her? Because I know how lucrative Kaleidoscope is for me now that we got it where we are. So her wearing braids all the time to me the perfect thing is a protective hair a protective hairstyle collection with her she could give me the input on what she wants in it of course she's not going to say i want a product that um has manuka honey and i said no she's going to tell me i want something that make it stop itching i want to do this and the other and i figure out the technical things i figure out the type of um ingredients i figure out the labels i figure out the cogs the cost of goods and stuff like that and she just gives me her input on stuff like the fragrances i'll put them four things different which one you like you know <laughs> so i figure out that part of it so that way she could also know that you don't have to just make money by doing servicing you know what i'm saying like it's great to have residual income by just posting on social media and hey buy these products so we definitely i she didn't want it i told her you had to fight for it yes i told her I'm sending you something, send it to your lawyer. Because cause, cause I asked her to do it. She was like, okay, cool. And I was like, good. Because I, I knew that if I told her that I wanted to pay her for it, she wasn't going to do it. So I sent it through her. Um, I had to reach out to her person, who's her aunt. Her aunt is her accountant. I said, please get this done for me because she's not going to accept it for me. Is she grateful now that you pushed it? She is. She is. But one thing about my wife, she is not, she doesn't care about mansions. She doesn't care about Rolls Royces. She doesn't care about diamonds or nothing. When it comes to us, she just, as long as I'm right there, we can live in a matchbox. She don't care. She don't care about none of that. I just wanted her to understand that she could, whatever it is that she wanted to do, she could do. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your brilliance and also for your incredible hairline. Where can people find more information about your products if they want to? Um, they can find it online, uh, Instagram at Kaleidoscope Hair Products, but you also you can purchase it at Walmart, Target, Sally's, CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, Myers, Fred Harmon, Nordstrom Rack, everywhere. So I'm so proud of you. You are an inspiration and an incredible mompreneur. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. As Judy said, for more information, visit Kaleidoscope Hair Products on Instagram and, of course, watch Brat Loves Judy on WeTV. Thanks for being here with us on another episode of Mompreneurs. Make sure you watch it on MadamNoor.com and listen and follow Mompreneurs wherever you get your podcasts and at UrbanOnePodcast.com. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. No, thank you. Yay. <laughs>